You are listening to the Feast Podcast from the Light of Jesus family. We share here significant and heartfelt messages for you to reflect on and pray about. May this message help prepare you to face your challenges, follow your dreams, and open yourself up to God's unlimited blessings. Grab your seats, everybody. Touch somebody beside you. Tell that person God will speak to you today. I have this hallucination that you're a good person. Can you check that person beside you if that person qualifies to be a good person? Does he look good? You sure? You sure? I mean, I'm, I'm imagining right now that you're good because, you know, you go to church, you pray, you smile, you're respectful, you're, you know, so, so, but... How many of you experience bad things happening to you? Raise your hand. You experience some bad things happen to you? Uh, like, like how many of you have pimples? Raise your hand. You've got pimples. You know, you're, you're a good person. You're praying. You're reading your Bible. You're going to church. But why in the world do you have pimples? I mean, I mean if, if you grow near to God, you know, doesn't God save your face from pimples? How many of you have dandruff? Um, I, I have dandruff. I, I, I get dandruff once in a while. No, sorry. All the time. And... Uh, you know, white flakes, snow, you know. And why? We're supposed to be good people. How many of you have cellulite? Raise your hand. You've got, you've got stubborn cellulite and no matter what you do, they're, they're there. How many of you have excess weight? I mean, I mean you're, you're supposed to be close to God. Doesn't God like, you know, make you diet on your own? Like you, you just pray and you lose five pounds? I mean, why, why do these bad things happen to us? Now, now, of course, they could go, go really worse, but that's my point. What I want to share with you, and I'm going to be very oversimplistic here, and I'm, I'd like to apologize, but I'd like to just take one step backward and say, why do bad things happen? I, f- I figured there are three kind of like general overarching causes of why bad things happen. You want to know? So uh, even at the start, just want to apologize for how oversimplistic. But, but the first thing is that, it's mostly our fault. Can everybody say that? Mostly our fault. I was talking to a guy that I kind of like knew, um, semi-new, you know, not, not really close, but I kind of like knew his lifestyle, that he was living a very unhealthy life. Like um, sleeping three or four hours a day. You know people like that? Like every single day, just three to four hours, you know, and, and um, he would eat junk. He was constantly dehydrated. You know, when you're dehydrated, you're really punishing your body. And then he would have stress every day, like to the roof. And then he, no exercise, couch potato. Do you know that sitting is the new smoking? Do you know that? It, it really destroys. Anyway, this guy, finally one day his body caved in and he gets very, very sick. And then I was talking with him. And then he told me this, he asked me this question, Bo, why did God make me sick? And there I was just listening to him and I'm saying, I am, I I didn't say this, (laughs) but in my mind I was saying, I am so flabbergasted by the human brain's capacity to search for someone to blame. Are you, are you listening to what I'm saying? You, you get my, my, my drift. You, you get more. That, that really, we have this amazing... T- poke somebody on the shoulder and say, your human brain is amazing. It 
blames God for self-inflicted pain. Tell that. You know, that, that, that's our capacity. <laughs> Crazy. Absolutely nuts. But that's who we are. So, so sometimes when bad things happen to us, sometimes, first, number one, number one, it's, we cost it because of our bad decisions. Yes or no? Okay, here's number two. Partly our fault. Not totally, but partly. I was talking to a young woman, bawling her eyes out, crying, crying, sobbing. And then she asked me, Brother Bo, why did God allow this thing to happen? I said, what happened? My boyfriend cheated on me. I said, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, told me the story. But then she went even back into the story and traced how they met and all of that. And I said, oops, from the very beginning, from the very beginning. You know how they met? Ask me how. The boyfriend, courting her, already had a girlfriend. Louder, louder. Ah. I mean, it was written, handwritten, on the wall, with red pencil pen. This guy is a jerk. You have a girlfriend. She told him, you have a girlfriend and you're pursuing me. What are you doing? And he gave his age-old line. I've always wanted to get, you know, break the relationship, but I can't. Masasaktan siya. Jerk. I, I, I really wanted to break off this relationship months ago, last year, but you know, I don't want to hurt her, so I'm just here sticking around. But you know, when I met you, you know, my, my life changed. And, and are you a dictionary? Why? Because when I met you, you gave meaning into my life. <laughs> Beautiful words, if it were not only coming from this comeback, right? But, but, but here she was, and, and I was listening to her, and she was asking me, why did God allow this to happen? I'm telling you, and, and I did not tell her this because she was just sobbing and, and wetting them, flooding the entire floor with her tears, but, but really it was partly her fault because it was screaming red flashing lights telling her, this guy's no good. Look at him. He's already a cheater. So you're the new girl. Guess what? When you become the old girl, there will be a new girl. Am I listening? So number one, mostly our fault. Number two, partly our fault. Yes or no? Here's number three. Are you ready for number three? Why bad things happen to us? It's not our fault. There is a reality that you're not doing anything wrong. And then all of a sudden, boom. Bad things happen. This is what happened to Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph. We read it. Audie read it a while ago. Open your scripture to, to, the, to the chapter we're reading. Chapter 2, verse 13. That's the story. Imagine you're Mary. You just gave birth. You just gave birth. Your body is still sore. You still feel throbbing pain here and there. You're holding your baby. And... You know, all you want to do is to become this Jewish mother to this Jewish baby. And, and you're thinking of a quiet life with your husband. Maybe living in a condo beside a mall. And while taking care of your baby, you're watching Netflix. 
and nursing your baby. That's the kind of vision you want. And then all of a sudden, in, in verse 13, after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph and said, Herod will be looking for the child in order to kill him. So get up, take up your child, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt and stay there until I tell you to leave. What? If I was Mary, I would say, Lord, what's this? I mean, I said yes to you, right? I am the handmaid servant of the Lord. Be it done to me according to your word, you know? <laughs> I said yes. I mean, I'm not asking in return a million dollars. I just want a quiet life. What's this guy? This Herod guy? This monster? He wants to kill the baby. Lord, what are you doing? If there was one person who had the right to say, why is God unfair? It would be Mary and Joseph. They gave their all. And now look how life is treating them. God is unfair. Have you ever prayed that prayer before? You know, sometimes like, God, why are you unfair? I'm a good person. I'm a kind person. Mama Mary. Mama Mary saying her yes and all of a sudden. You know, when my wife gave birth, her ob Gaini told her to walk, like right after. Like, don't baby your body. Come on, walk. Mothers, did the doctor tell you that also? Move. <laughs> don't baby your body. But I wonder if, I wonder if, I, I'm sure, I'm sure the doctor did not mean 65 kilometers walking from Bethlehem all the way to, I mean, am I right? I mean, going to an Egyptian-controlled territory outside the territory of King Herod. And then they had to stay as refugees. Everybody say refugees. For three years in this foreign country. And then we, we go on. When Herod realized... I'm jumping some verses. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump 14 and 15. I'm going to talk, talk about that next, next week. Tell somebody beside you. Elbow that person and say, um, come back next week. Because we're going we're gonna to work on verse 14 and verse 15. I'm, I'm going to go to verse 16 and 17. When Herod realized that the visitors from the east had tricked him, he was furious. He gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its neighborhood who were two years old and younger. And this was what he had learned from the visitors about the time when the star had happened, had appeared. If there were a thousand people in Bethlehem, proportionately, there would be about maybe 12 to 25 babies who were killed on that time. And imagine if you were the mother of one of those babies. What would you say? Lord God, why is life so unfair? You know, I'm not doing anything here. You know, and, and so number three is, is, is right. It's like bad things happen and sometimes it's not your fault. Am, am I resonating with you with this? Let me give you a side message about King Herod. King Herod. <laughs> God has given each of you, put your hands over your chest. Say this after me. God has given me the capacity to create heaven or hell on earth. Amen? King Herod chose to create hell in Bethlehem, killing babies left and right because he was paranoid because he wanted to control his power. And if there was a new king, he, he wanted to have that killed. 
that's, it's, it's crazy. But God respects the human dignity of choice. He gives you that power to create heaven or to create hell. Some people create hell in relationships. Some people create hell in families. Some people create hell in offices and workplaces. God is calling you right now. He gives you the choice. What will you do in your family? What will you do in your marriage? What will you do with your kids? What will you do in your office? Will you create heaven or will you create hell? Your choice. Shake somebody. Shake somebody beside you and say, it's your choice. What will you do? What will you do tomorrow when you go to work? What will you do tonight when you go home? It's your choice. Do I hear a loud amen? amen. And then, he quotes a prophet from the Old Testament. In this way, what the prophet Jeremiah had said come true, came true. Verse 18. A sound is heard in Ramah. Say Ramah. The sound of bitter weeping. Rachel is crying for her children. She refuses to be comforted for they are dead. Now, when you read a passage like that, New Testament quoting the Old Testament, and, and, and Matthew says, Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, said something that came true, you kind of like say, Wow! Galing naman? Para siyang si Nostradamus? You're familiar with Nostradamus? Very few. Madame Auring? A little bit more familiar? You, you, we, we kind of like imagine, you know, Jeremiah, who lived 600 years before Christ, before Jesus, you kind of like imagining, wow, what happened to Jeremiah? Maybe he had a trance. And then he saw a supernatural vision. God giving him a video of what will happen 600 years later, that in Bethlehem, there would be this king who will send his soldiers and he will slaughter babies. And Jeremiah, 600 years before, saw all this. Wow! That's what we think. I want you to know, no, no, no. That's not how the Bible works. That's not, not how the Bible writers wrote or thought. No, in fact, if you read the book of Jeremiah, you go back. So this is Matthew, right? You're in Matthew. Matthew quoted Jeremiah. You go back to Jeremiah and you find out that he was not talking about the future. He was talking about the past. And, and this is something we're going to... I'm going to talk more about this next week, okay? And, and, and the week after that. But this is very, very important. Now, why is it important? When you... Matthew was writing to Jews... Mostly. The other Gospels were not. But Matthew was writing to Jews. And Jews knew their Bible. Ask me why. Because when the Jews were kids, they were already reciting Bible verses and Bible stories. From the very time they were kids. Yes, many, many people did not know how to read. But you see, the Bible was, was an oral thing. Like they would recite the Bible. They would memorize the Bible. So when Matthew would quote Jeremiah. Matthew was quoting Jeremiah. Just one verse. Let's go, let's go to Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 15. Jeremiah 31 verse 15. 
This is the quote of, Jer- of, of, of Matthew. The Lord says, A sound is heard in Ramah, the sound of bitter weeping. Rachel is crying for her children. They are gone and she refuses to be com- comforted. I want you to know that when Matthew was quoting that verse, he was not only quoting one verse, he was quoting the entire section. Everybody say, Huh? When Matthew was quoting one verse, he was not only quoting one verse, he was quoting five, six, eight, whatever. The whole section. He was, say this word with me, assuming. He was assuming that his readers knew the whole thing. Because he was talking to Jews. Everybody say, ah. Now, I know this is boring for you, but I don't care. <laughs> this is so cool. This is amazing. And this is, this is how you unlock the Bible. When you understand this. In fact, many of the verses in the, when, when, when Matthew would quote the Old Testament, he's not only quoting that one verse. I'll, I'll show you in the next two talks, in the next two weeks, that when he quotes one verse, he's actually already asking you, he's assuming this, that you also think about the 8 or the 12 or the 13 or the 24 hyperlinks that that verse is linked to 3, 5, 8, scattered verses all over the Old Testament. And he assumes that you know that because you're a Jew. Because he was writing to Jews. And so I'm going to pick this up. And I'm going to tell you now that he only quoted chapter 31, verse 15 of the book of Jeremiah. But Matthew will be assuming that you know verse 16 and verse 17 as well. The next two verses. This is so good. You're looking at me like, "Ah, what? This is amazing. This is super amazing. And, and we don't know this. But we should. We should know what Matthew was talking about. He was assuming you knew verse 16 and 17 when he mentions verse 15. Why will I know, brother boy? I'm not a Jew. That's right. That's why we need to study. That's why we need to know what verse... Can I read to you what 16 and 17 is? You sure you want to know? Look it up later. Can I invite you to stand up? I'm going to read it to you. But before I read it to you, the reason why I want you to stand up is because of this. Ask me why. I'm I'm a semi-old man. And yeah, I am. I had a lot of experience in life already. Can I say this with you with total, complete authority? Life is unfair. There I've said it. Life is unfair. Don't remove, get rid, delete from your mind. Hyper faith, expectation, false expectation that if I follow God, I will have a fair life. Get rid of that. It's not true. It's not true. Whether you follow God or whether you don't follow God, you're going to have an unfair life. Why? You live in an unfair world. You live in an unfair, broken world. Period. Here's why. If you follow God because you want to escape your problems, don't follow God. Won't work. You follow God because you want to follow God. Period. That's why. And the reason why life is unfair, ask me why. Complete sentence. Why is life unfair? Because of the lag. Ask me, what lag? Louder. What lag? The lag. The lag. When King Herod, when an e- do you have Herods in your life? 
Yes. A cheating boyfriend. An ex-business partner that stole from you. A friend that destroyed your reputation. You, if you have Herods in your life, you say, Lord, why is life so unfair? I'm a good person. Why is this Herod coming into my life? You know what? The reason why life isn't fair is because there's a lag. Lag of what? When somebody does evil, the punishment doesn't happen right away. If I was Mary and all of this was happening to me, i say, God, why? Why don't you just do a Thanos? A Thanos. Just snap your finger. And, and, and let King Herod disappear into pixels. Wouldn't that be wonderful? But you see, that's not God's style. Ask me why. Because He allows a lag between what evil that you do and the punishment that will happen. You see, He does not come with a bat. You sin, bang! God doesn't do that. Aha, you sinned, snap, disappear. You know what God does? He allows the sin to become the punishment. When you do evil, the punishment is the evil that you do over time. Not right away, but over time. Are you listening to what I'm saying? And that's why life is unfair. Because God is patient. He does not punish, but lets the bad decisions that you make over time be the punishment. Because He wants you to repent. And He hopes that you repent. But at a certain time, if you don't repent, your evil actions will destroy you. And that's precisely why God did, God did not want you to sin. He does not want you to sin because the sin will destroy you over time. There's a, there's a, lag. There's a lag. That's why life is unfair. And that's why when you do good, there's also a lag. <laughs> there's also a lag. Try going to tomorrow, go to the gym for 12 hours. Will you be healthy after that? No. There's a lag. In fact, you, you go to the gym 30 minutes every day or every other day for, for a few months, maybe six months or one year, and then, and then you say, oh, I'm healthy. But tomorrow, the next day, three weeks from now, you still don't feel it because there's a lag. That's how life works. Are you listening? You're doing good. You're doing good now. You're doing good. Lord, why is life unfair? Where are the blessings? Where's the reward? Where's the vindication? There's a lag. Just keep on doing it. Keep on doing it. Keep on doing it. Here's my point. Are you ready? I'm going to read it. Here was Jeremiah. Jeremiah was not talking about the future, what will happen 600 years later in Bethlehem when King Herod will come and slaughter. He was not talking about that. Jeremiah was talking about the past, recent past, in his lifetime. He was talking about what he saw with his own two eyes. What did Jeremiah see? Babylon conquering Jerusalem and crushing Jerusalem burned the temple, the very symbol of their nation, the temple where God dwelt, smashing it, burning it to ruins. Jeremiah saw multitudes murdered. Jeremiah saw the nobility of the land, the leaders of Jerusalem in chains, in rags, to be carted off as exiles to Babylon, 2,000 miles away. Jeremiah saw that. And do you know where they were gathered? The, 
the, the point where all these exiles were gathered before they would march off to Babylon? Ask me where. They were gathered in Ramah. Parang walang dating. We just read it, Ramah. That's where, that's where Jeremiah said, in Ramah, crying and weeping. And you know where Ramah is? Ask me where. Louder. Right beside Bethlehem. You saw the connection? Why Matthew was quoting Jeremiah? And the point, the point is that Jeremiah saw all this destruction and all this weeping. And then God spoke to him. So in the midst of all this weeping and destruction and the temple gone, burning, smoke, and, the, and his leaders in chains, marching off to Babylon... God tells him, verse 16 and verse 17, which Matthew assumes that you know. Stop your crying and wipe away your tears. All that you have done for your children will not go unrewarded. They will return from the enemy's land. There is hope for your future. Your children will come back home. I, the Lord, have spoken. Do you have unfair situations right now in your life? Herods that have taken things from you. Are you going through sickness or problem or trials? When I was a child, I was bullied because I was an introvert and I, I was not a very good student. I was, and I was not good in sports. And I was bullied, bullied, bullied. When I was 8 years old, I was molested as a child. When I was 13 years old, I got molested again. And I, I developed a pornography addiction that I could not get away. And, and it, it, it was just exacerbating and worsening my, my slow self-worth. And I had a horrible, horrible... But, but in, in spite of the horrible teenage life, I wanted to serve God and I... And I said yes, and I said yes, and I said yes, and it healed me slowly. And then I got married at the age of 32. That was the happiest day of my life. We wanted to have babies. But our baby, our first baby we lost. First miscarriage. And then the second miscarriage came. And the third miscarriage came. And I remember my wife talking to me and saying, Bo, is this the way God rewards you? Is this the way God rewards us? We've been serving for decades. You've been serving for decades. And yet, why? And I told her, I don't know the answer. And if you come up to me and you say, why is this happening to my life? I don't know. But this I know. This I know. God tells Jeremiah and God is telling you now, stop your crying, wipe the tears from your eyes because your problems will not have the last say. Your sickness will not have the last say. The injustice that's happening to you right now will not have the last say. I, your God, will have the last say and it will be good. In due time. Everybody say in due time. After the lag, in due time, 
you will be rewarded. Evil will be punished. You will be vindicated in due time. You keep on doing good. I'll tell you why good guys will win long term. Short term, good guys will lose. And bad guys will win. But long term, in the long term game, in the final analysis, in the last day, good guys win. Am I making sense to you? And you've got to believe in that. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. I'm going to let Audi close this message. Another big hand for brother. Thank you, brother. Everyone say it again. God will have the last say. And it will be good. Can you hear me all the way to the back? I asked them to give me this lapel mic for the props that I'm going to be bringing out. It's not too much of a distraction, is it? Like a big third eye on my mouth. <laughs> but let me close with this. Can I close? Okay, I'll tell you a personal story of mine. You, you know that I have a son. His name is Ethan. Ethan is already two years old. And before my wife and I got pregnant with Ethan, you know, we were at the season where we were waiting we were waiting, we were doubting, we were even disbelieving. And I shared this in the feast a long time ago, my disbelief that we would have children. Because my disbelief started at a very young age. I was only in grade school when my good friend, Mike Reyes, went to class and then he brought out this strange-looking pendant. Strange-looking amulet, actually. And then he says to us, I have the gift of prophecy. I will be able to predict how many children you are going to have when you grow old. And we're like, wow, really? And so, you know, being kids, we wanted to have fun. And he said, sure, go ahead. And so we were three at that time. And so he called three of us. Three of us and he said, Joffrey. Joffrey was the first guy to come forward. And he said, put out your palm. And then what I'll do is I'll put the pendant on top. And depending on how many times it goes around in a circle, that's how many children you're going to have. And so he proceeds to do this. And for some reason, it started going around. One, two, and then it stopped. And then he says, congratulations, you're going to have two kids when you grow up. So now it was my turn. Hold out your palm. He puts the pendant. And I could see that his hand was steady as a rock, but it wasn't moving. Whatever he did, it wasn't moving. No air, nothing. Just like that, straight. And then everybody started laughing. You know, being young, we were making fun of ourselves. The next guy, Adrian, holds out his palm. And again, the pendant. And it goes around. One, two. And then it stops. And then he says, congratulations, you're going to have two kids. And then again, I said, because I knew that it was a fluke. He was joking. But this guy was my best friend. Again, he puts the pendant on top of my hand. And no movement. By this time, everybody was laughing and, you know, we were having fun. And, you know, I forgot about it because I was young. I grew up. I grew older. Until high school, when I had a major asthma attack, it was so bad that I thought I was going to die. You ever had those moments where you felt like, this is it, Lord? This is it. You know the first thought that popped into my head? Oh, that's why I'm not going to have children because I'm going to die very early. And then after college, 
I was involved in a very serious relationship and then we ended up breaking up and I was devastated. And again, that same thought, ah, maybe that's why I won't have children. It's because nobody wants to marry me. But you know, eventually I got married. Married my favorite wife, Christelle. And you know, two, year, two, two years into that marriage, eventually we got pregnant. We got pregnant. But then two months later, we lost the baby. In fact, there was no baby because there was no egg that was planted. It was, it was called a blighted ovum. So again, that thought popped into my head. What if my friend Mike was right all along? What if his prophecy had been correct all along? We had seen three Obigainis during this time. And you know, every Obigaini that we saw, they said one thing. They said, it's going to be hard for you to get pregnant because you both have a condition. It's going to be very hard for you to get pregnant. In fact, one of the doctors even said this. One of the doctors said, you have a 5% chance of getting pregnant. And I'm like, 5% over 100? But hindi man lang i-round off to zero instead of giving us that small glimmer of hope, you know? In the grading system in the school, 5 over 100 is failing, right? It's a failing grade. That's when they tell you, better luck next semester. So, but, you know, we continue to believe. We continue to trust God, that God had a promise for us. And the promise was actually found in Psalm verse 128, or chapter 128, verse 3, which says that your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. And your children are like olive shoots around your table. That's a beautiful promise. If you guys, if there are couples here who are praying to have a baby, that's a promise you can claim and hang on to. In fact, that promise was shared to us by our good friends, George and Dinah Gabriel, who at that time was also going through that journey of waiting for that child. And we continue to cling on to that promise. Fast forward all the way to September 2016. This is a true story. I've told you true stories so far. 2016 of September, we decided to join our couple's LG head, Hilendang Ramos. They were going to a trip in Bulacan in an orphanage. Okay? Random trip. We just happened to tag along. And then in that orphanage, Hill says, you know, there's a priest here. His name is Father Angel. He likes to pray over couples who are trying to get pregnant but have difficulty. So why don't you get prayed over him? There's nothing that would... You'd lose nothing. Next thing we, we, we knew, we were being soaked by holy water. He was soaking us with holy water, blessing us, praying for us. And then he said this very strange but bold prophecy. He said, by this time next year, I am going to baptize your firstborn child on October 2017. And we're like, are you crazy making a prophecy like that? Give the exact month, give the exact year. And you know, I tell you, on October 2017, we brought Ethan, our firstborn child, to Bulacan to be prayed over and baptized by Father Angel. Unbelievable. But before I give you my closing message, let me just share this with you. When we found out that we were pregnant that year, after four years of trying, when we found out that we had a baby, our OB at that time was my tita. She's a fantastic doctor. She said to us in plain words, you're going to have a hard pregnancy. It's going to be a high-risk pregnancy. That's what she called it because my wife suffered from this condition called an APS. How many of you know that? APS, which stands for antiphospholipid syndrome. What is that? It means that it's a disorder in her immune system which increases the rate of blood clots. 
So what happens is that the body sees any foreign object that comes inside as a threat, so it creates blood clots, therefore uh, uh, preventing the oxygen from flowing into the baby. And it, it, it goes into miscarriage. That's the reason why we've had a hard time. And she said, you're going to have a hard time. You're going to have to monitor this baby. In fact, for seven months, here's what we did. I had to inject her twice a day in her stomach. I'm not a doctor. I don't know how to do it properly. I was injecting her like a piece of meat. You know, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not good. It was horrible. Every single day we were worried. Every single time she ate, she vomited. And we were worried if our baby was okay. But look at this. Today, Ethan is two years old. He is the living proof that none of what people said, none of what the situation dictated had the final say. God had the final say. And it was good. Can I get an amen? Can I invite you to stand? I'm going to follow through that story with this, with this closing message. You see, there were two people who prophesied over my life, very young age, started believing in a fear, fed by my friend Mike who said that I wasn't going to have a baby, fed by the doctor who said I had 5% chances of having a kid and it was next to impossible, fed by that APS syndrome that said it's, it's going to be a hard pregnancy. But you see, two people spoke over my life. The first one, my friend Mike. He said, you're not going to have a baby. But then there was another person who prophesied over my life, Father Angel, who said, I'm going to baptize your baby on a given month, on a given year. You had one prophecy that came true, but you had another prophecy that didn't come true. And so by this time, I was so conflicted. I was so confused. So I had to consult with a friend and the best person that I asked, Brother Bo Sanchez. I come up to him and I said, Brother Bo, why is it that one prophecy came true while the other prophecy did not come true? Would you like to know what he said? His answer was fantastic. Very, very simple but powerful answer. You want to know what? Ask me what? A little bit louder. What? Okay, come back next week. I'll tell you. Oh, you want to know it now? Okay, okay, I'll tell you. He simply said, it's because the two prophecies that were given to you they came from two different sources. Two different sources. The prophecy, the first one, came from someone who probably was not from God. Somebody who was not of God. He was a friend. Of course, he was a good friend. But he was just joking around. But the other prophecy that became true came from someone who was of God. Someone from God. So I want to ask you today, I want you to search deep into your heart. Are there some things that you are believing in your life right now? Maybe there's a promise that was given to you. Maybe something that was said over your life that was taught to you when you were young and you're still believing it until now. My question is, who is the source of that promise? Who is the source of that belief? Is it a promise that came from God or is it from somebody else? In other words, I need you to check the source of that promise. That's what you got to do. Check the source of that promise. And I'm saying this to you loud and clear because you need to understand that there is an enemy amongst us. You have an enemy, I have an enemy. And his name is the devil. And let me tell you, 
the first day you were born, the devil has been trying to give you lies. Lie after lie, truth after truth, belief after belief. And he's been trying to get you confused to believe what he wants you to believe because the devil wants you to be scared. See, the number one tactic of the devil, you'll, you'll recognize this. If this comes from the devil, you'll be afraid. The Bible says that fear does not come from God. So if fear does not come from God, it comes from someplace else. So if that promise is fear-based, that's not coming from God. The way that the devil will operate is that he will give you a lie because his truth is always based on lies. On the other hand, God's truth is based on love. Are you with me? Okay, now let me preach the last part. Let me preach the last part. Why is this important for you to know? It's because the devil has been trying to feed you a different script all your life. But the moment you look at the cross, you see Jesus hanging on the cross. When he hung on that wooden cross, he said three powerful words that eventually changed the script forever. You know these words. What are the three words? It is finished. It is finished. Can you say that with me? It is finished. When the devil heard that Jesus said, it is finished, he thought that Jesus was declaring his defeat. But what he didn't know was that Jesus was actually declaring his victory. So every single time, listen to me, every single time fear comes up on you and says, you're not enough. You're never going to get healed. You're never going to get that job. You're never going to get that baby. You're never going to get that opportunity. You're never going to get out of that hole, out of that pit that you're in. I want you to imagine Jesus telling you, it is finished. It is finished. God had already won. And guess what? You've already won. The devil doesn't have the final say. Only God does. And guess what? It will be good. Clap your hands if you believe that it will be good. It's going to be good. So my question now is, will you? Because it all begins with trust. Trusting that God's promise is going to prevail over your life. So my question is, will you trust God? Will you trust Him in the season of your waiting? in this season where you're still sick, in this season where you're still doubting, will you trust God so much to believe that even in the lag, at the end of it all, He has the last say. He has the final word. And He says, it is finished. If you believe in that, why don't you lift your hands? Come on, everybody in this place. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. But you will make the responsibility to respond to this message. If you're ready, everybody say, Jesus, I trust in you. One more time, say, Jesus, I trust in you. Even if I don't know, even if I don't see what the outcome is, I believe with all my heart, with all my faith, that it will be good. Because you are good. You are my God. Praise you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Light of Jesus family. For more messages like these, please visit lightfam.com slash podcasts.